Hey guys, it's Matt from Peek Inside the Panic Room. And in today's episode, we're talking to Russell Manser, a young man from humble beginnings in Mount Druitt that fell into a life of crime and spent 23 years in prison. But Russell's one of those rare stories of redemption through a broken penal system and through his own experiences is now helping others rebuild their lives. Enjoy the episode. This is Peek Inside the Panic Room, where we explore our passions with zero limits, mixed with the occasional bit of chaos. You don't have to be famous to have a story to tell, so strap yourself in and enjoy the ride. Mate, known as the Gentleman Bank Robber. Yeah, Russell Mance has lived a life and is still here to tell the tale despite his best efforts. Oh, look, I think I was always brought up that manners cost you nothing and, uh, by my dear old mum. And, um, you know, I, and, and the whole thing about that gentleman bank robber thing was, um, look, I, I, I didn't want people to panic and I didn't want to create anything stupid. Like, you know, the problem is you have in those sort of situations when you're yelling and screaming and that sort of stuff, people panic and stupid things happen. And that's when the real dangerous stuff starts, like someone gets shot or killed or something like that. And I, I, I just didn't ever want that on my uh, conscience, you know what I mean? But in saying that, you know, I, you know, I, um, man, um, I just wanted to get in and out as quick as I, I could without any hassles, you know. And and, and please and thank you, don't cost you nothing. <laughs> in any situation. In any situation. Yeah, mate. And just on, just while we're there, like much planning. Went into the went into it or was it? No, you drove past. If I had a security guard with a gun, you go. Well, that's good. Yeah, because it was more of a challenge. <laughs> and um, I always tried to base any bank I robbed on it how many tellers it had. If it had ten tellers, it, it equated to more money. Yeah, you know, have you seen the two or three ones? You just skip across the road, or sometimes you get the one across the road as well. Yeah, run in and out and get that one. Two for one. Yeah, two for one. Wow. Um, yeah, done one once with my mate, and we ran out. And, he goes, where are you heading? I said, I'll grab this one as well. Wow. Mm. I guess that was back in the days where it's, uh, cops took a little bit of time to get there. Oh, well, it was back in the days when Roger Rogerson and his mates were running around killing people. Yeah, that's, that's a scary time. Very scary time. And that's that whole thing. You would come out of a bank and you, I don't know, for some stupid reason, I used to come out with my hand over my head just so my head didn't explode like a pumpkin if I was going to get shot. And I, I don't know what a hand over the head was ever going to achieve. But um, yeah, it was it was a scary time. People talk about you know, have you ever jumped out of a parish out of, out of a plane? And you know, and I said, yeah, I've done that. And I said, but I'll tell you what, robbing robbing a bank is more thrilling than that. You know, in the day there was. Well, you know. it was funny. I was I was reading something uh, the other day, and you were saying that I would think, and this is an absolute layman talking, that it, uh, adrenaline's a huge part of it. Hundred percent. Without it, you can't do it. Yeah, but I was reading that you used to sometimes have a hit of heroin before you go and do the bank rolling. Sure. Now, is my that adrenaline's pumping. My adrenaline pumps normally pretty high anyway. Yeah. I'm that type of person. I'm highly, I'm highly charged. And sometimes what I'd have to do is give the heroin to sort of slow me up a bit. Right. That's funny, you know. There's certain certain drugs that, that have different effects, like cocaine really puts me to sleep. Right. Okay. Know, cocaine, like they will hype people up. They want to move around. I want to lay down on that. Now, that's how that's how I experienced cocaine. It was just where heroin can hype me up, or it can. It depends. The type. 
that it can I can it can hype me up, but a controlled type of hype, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Well, I was gonna I was gonna ask. Do you think you got the uh, moniker the gentleman uh, robber because mate, you're on the nod and you're just polite because it was like, hey mate, yeah, yeah it's yeah. all cool, mate. Yeah, it was all, <laughs> all flowers and daffodils, <laughs> huh? But yeah, look, I, I, that whole thing was just. It's just one of those things. I, I I didn't really. My intentions were never to hurt anyone, and 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 that was that whole thing for me. It was never to hurt anyone, it cause anyone any harm or grief or anything like that, or nightmares or trauma. That was that whole thing. And if I could minimise that by just keeping people calm, uh, you know, I achieved my goal. Yeah. Okay. It's have. Okay. So, say you want to minimise the trauma, but obviously, it's a traumatic experience. Hundred percent. And have you had an opportunity to? I guess you, you, you're doing so much good work now mm. with people that have been broken through the penal system. Mm. But have you ever had an opportunity to go back and maybe see or talk to people that you may have robbed the bank and they were there? Or yeah, sure, sure. One woman approached me on social media. I didn't know if it was kosher or not, but she said, listen, um, I was in the bank that you robbed in a certain place. And she said, um, you know, and she goes, I've been following your journey. And she said, you know, people get on there and ask me, am I remorseful and what do I think of the bank tellers and everything like that. And she said, you know, I think the work that you do these days ameliorates, which balances out the bad that you've done in your life. So, look, I, I, I reckon I've apologised about a thousand and one times. Yeah. And I think through my actions and in particular the work I do with the Voice of Survivor, I think that's reflective in how remorseful I am. I think, you know, that, okay, I've done a lot of wrong but I'm trying to ride it with the good work that I do today. And I think the last time before I went before a court, I went before a court about four years ago at the Downing Centre um, District Court where I, I'd been in prison for four years and the coppers held on to a few old charges for me and when I was about to get out, just lumbered me with six bank robberies. And um, the judges in that scene right through that, so they let me out on bail and I went and done a rehab and that sort of thing. And the judge said in his comments, and Richard Pontella, who was my barrister, was saying that um, they were the best sentencing comments he ever heard. And he acknowledged that, you know, that I was remorseful and the work that I was doing. He said, if I was to sentence you back to prison today, he said, I'd be doing the, the community a big disservice. He said, because these days you were a community asset. And to be described in those uh, those sort of terms, instead of being, you know, this nasty, uh, bad person that had been previously described in the courts... I'll tell you what, it was a pretty warm sort of feeling and, and really give me a lot more drive to go out there and do a lot more of it. Yeah, you know? wow. Yeah. He all, you know, he also he also just, he was of the belief, that judge, he said, I'm of the belief that you were at a pinnacle in your life where you, a crossroads in your life where you definitely changed your life and, um, and um, he couldn't see me doing any further reoffending. He also said that, um, you know, if it wasn't for the abuse I suffered... As a child, he believed that I would have been a CEO of a multinational company. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're obviously showing that skill set now. Yeah. I, you know what? And I left school at 14. Um, I I never done university. I haven't got a trade or anything like that. But I just learnt the hustle and bustle in prison because to survive in there, you know, you've got to you've got to be able to put your hustle on. What I did learn in prison was, you know, if if anyone can. If anyone can stuff things up, it's a prison officer. You could give him the most <laughs> unbreakable thing to break and they'll break it. You know, the most achievable thing to achieve and they won't be able to achieve it. So, you know, everything... Uh, people ask me about my business acumen. Where did it come from? I said, whatever they do, I do totally opposite. And it works. 
And it's just as simple as that. It really is. I don't over-regulate things. I don't over-complicate things. And I just do it. I don't hesitate, you know. I'm a big believer in just going out and doing things straight away. Don't worry about it. Just get it done. Yeah, fine. Mate, you mentioned um, 14. So let's go back. Yeah, sure. So young boy, Mount Druitt. Yeah. Good family. Good family. Uh, Youngest of six. Yeah, wow. That must have been difficult. Well, none of them had ever shown any 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 social behaviour or displayed any sort of anti. I I never seen. There's no intergenerational transference of uh, domestic violence or drug use or anything in my life. You know, my or or or, or you know or anything like you know any social behaviour. But I you know I had good role models in my house. But what I seen back then, I, I seen like my dad it took him four years to pay off a debt to one eighty B. You know what I mean? I thought I ain't gonna, and I know they struggled. You know, both of, both my parents worked, and um, and I knew they just struggled, and I never wanted to be like that. Was really pre before the unions really kicked off here in Australia. You know what I mean? And um, and obviously they'd been getting taken advantage of by unscrupulous employees, employers, and um, you know slave labour basically. And I just didn't want to be like that. I didn't want one. I didn't want people to take advantage of me like that. I didn't want to be in that struggle my whole life, you know. You go to the beach and had take pack lunches and all that sort of stuff, and I just didn't want to be that that kid, you know. Yeah, I guess you know we're told our whole life, and and the media and everyone tells us crime doesn't pay. Yeah, but doesn't. I but I but I guess at, at that age yeah. you're seen different. Yeah, I did where I, you were. I seen it for different eyes, and yeah, it was pretty impressive because guys would come home from prison. And they were treated like return war heroes, you know. They'd done it. They never told on anyone, you know what I mean. They'd done the right thing. They kept their mouth shut. And they'd be treated like war heroes. And uh, old mate would be pushing his daughter out there out in the veranda going, Cheryl, that's the type of guy you marry. You know what I mean? I was yeah. sort of like that, you know. We were People that come out from prisons, in particular prisons and boys' homes, they were celebrated. Yeah, they, 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 were, they were celebrated, and, you know, um, it weren't long, and, and the guy would be out of prison. The next minute he's driving in, the day would be an SLR five thousand or yeah. you know, GDRXE one or a GDHO Falcon. And you know, these people could never have, like my family could have never afforded one of them. But but within weeks of being out of prison, these guys are driving it, or you know, a Jag or a Merc or whatever, you know. And um, you know that that impressed me. That impressed me that at the ease in which it was done. Yeah. The ease in which it was done, but then there's that cycle of twelve months later, the the mother is at the bus stop, uh, going off to Long Bay or Parramatta early in the morning to, to visit the son. You know, I mean, there's that cycle, and you don't see him for a couple of years, and then he comes home and does the you know repeats the cycle again. You know, it's um, yeah, we celebrated our criminals in where I grew up. Yeah, it's it's hard, I guess, because I'm a I'm a father. I've got a, a sixteen year old son, and I've got an eight year old daughter. Mm. And I think the thing that I've always said to him is, you know, choose your mates. Mm. Yeah, choose them wisely. Yeah. Because obviously you can't choose your parents. Yeah. They're, they're who you've got. But if you choose your mates wisely, that, that can make or break what happens moving forward. Mm. And, and if you, I guess, you're a little bit unlucky that you may have fallen in with the wrong people at the wrong time and, or seen the wrong thing. Or, uh, and it sort of gets taken out of your hands then, doesn't it? Well, you're at an impressionable age, you know. That's where you, that's where your core beliefs are established, and um, and you know, a lot of my friends, like in one particular house, we used to go around to as kids, and they were all drug dealers, and that, and they had 
they'd give us 50 bucks to go down the shop and a packet of cigarettes was three bucks and they'd give us 50 bucks to go down the shop and get them a packet of cigarettes and just keep the change you know and that was half of my dad's wages back then wow you know so those sort of guys now covered in gold and and those sort of people were very impressed like they they impressed me they impressed me in how they lived their life without what seemed like a care in the world but um i soon later on through my own experience found out it wasn't the case yeah that that's it's it's funny you, you only read about stuff like that you know like runners and, and people that are hanging out with drug dealers as kids and being mm-hmm. you know running and, and but it's real life 100 percent, 100 percent, especially is low socioeconomic areas you know what i mean it's 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 so um it's so full-on there's so much of it you know what i mean because you don't see the success stories where you know the blokes had a plan he's built a business and you know because you just didn't see those opportunities were few and far between for people in those sort of areas we you know we were just meant to be battlers and there was like you know I think I recently I was re- I was described by a professor psychologist as a million to one shot of overcoming what I eventually overcome you know what I mean that the stats were stacked against me to do that you know so that I guess that's an, that's a good point so a million to one shot so at some point you hit rock bottom yeah now, when when was that when did you decide that you this was it and you start well there's two ways you go then isn't there yeah. You either decide you're going to build yourself back up or that's just it. Look, I, um, I robbed the bank, national, no, I robbed the Suncorp Metway Bank in January 2014 at Gutta. I've come out of there. I was just, I was in a really bad way. I was really, my trauma was at full, full scale. Uh, uh, there'd been a few things going on that were really triggering from me for the, over the abuse. Um, it was at the beginning of the Royal Commission Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. I was hearing and seeing things like that. I was of the belief that I was going to be forced to give evidence there. Um, and then, you know, I robbed this bank and a bunch of super citizens jumped all over me and, 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 and gave me a good kicking down at Coolangatta. And one of them said, I just saved your life. And I just didn't understand what he said, what he meant. And then uh, I went to the cells at Southport and... Um, all these coppers just come out of nowhere and they were just coming and looking at me. I was like I was a, a Tasmanian tiger. I was the last of the... I think I was one of the last of the bank robbers in Australia. I think I was one of the last people to rob a bank in Australia. And uh, they were looking at me like I was some sort of, you know, Tasmanian tiger or some sort of foreign object. You know, all these young blokes and um, they got me in an interview room and there was an old bloke in the corner and I just... He rolled his eyes. He knew where they were going to go. They were trying to get me to do a record of interview and... Um, just at the eagerness and at them and mate, they them blokes there had wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to tie the likes of Roger Rogerson and that shoelace up. Roger Rogerson had just gone for it, walked through the door. They would have just bashed you as soon as you got through that door. These blokes were trying to tie me and verbal me into making admissions and that. And I just looked at them and I said, "Come on, man!" I said, "I haven't seen no one moonwalk back into prison saying admitting that that crime was the best thing I've ever done." <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I said, "I've been around a long time." I said, "But anyway, I know you're up here on a holiday." I said, "You know." I hope you get enough, you know, they, they give you a little bit of a budget so you can get a good feed and go to the strippers and that, because like you're going to do. And, I, and they're looking at me and the old black in the corner just sort of rolled in. He said to them, give up, mate. He's never going to do a record of you. Oh, yeah, mate. And I said, no. He's the same cop that um, spoke on my uh, Australian story, Terry Dwyer, I think his name is. He's the one who spoke on the Australian story about me being a good bloke. I've never heard a cop call me a good bloke. But anyway, <laughs> good on him. Yeah. Yeah, Wow. Yeah, look, I think um, just your time in your time in prison, mate. I, 
23 years. 23 years, mate. That's, yeah. that's, at that time, it was more than half your life. Yeah. And there must be a lot of and, – and I follow baseball, so I'm going somewhere with this. Mm. And <clears throat> there's a lot of unwritten rules in baseball. You can't, you know, hit a home run and show up the pitcher. You can't do all these things and a lot of unwritten rules. And I'm sure there's a lot of unwritten rules in jail. So political in there. How, how do you learn the unwritten rules – is it? Is there an easy way, or, way. or I was going to say, or is it the hard way? Hard way, you know. I don't know. Look, where I come from, being Mount, in Mount Druitt, we had like a uh, like um, we had some mentors. As soon as you got there, the older blokes would pull you over. You'd, you'd see the creeps and that hanging around, but the older blokes would pull them over. And they, they'd soon realise that where you're from, and we were pulled in. And we were a pretty big gang in prison. We all stuck together, but the older heads educated the younger ones. It was like they, they were sort of like mother hens. Where's Johnny? Get over here, round them up, keep everyone together. And I had a really good mentor, a guy by the name of Brian Hull, who was from my area. He was a fellow bank robber and someone who I really looked up to. Really good style, movie star looks, and and uh, was known in prison as one of the better fighters. And um, you know, he was uh, had my back, and um, and you know, and educated. You know, you, there's a thing in there called Peter feeding. You you, got, you can't take anything out of someone's cell. I'll fucking kill you over that. It's funny we come from a world of thieves, but the worst thing you can do is thieve in there. And um, you know, obviously, you can't talk to prison officers. You can't earwig or listen in on other people's conversations. That's an art. Two I was going to say that must be really difficult. Really hard. That's that's an art. Two people can have a talk, and you're just got like a music playing in your head, full ball without even headphones on, so you don't hear it, and you can walk off and not have heard a thing they said. And you don't want to hear it. You don't want to know about it. And um, People have spaces too in there that you don't walk in. Like a bloke might be training in a little area, like a three, you know, three meter little square area, and you know that's his area, and you don't step in there. Um, there's a pecking order, like you know, they hand out the medals. Like someone like me, I'm just impatient. I just go straight to the top, the beginning of the line, push in. Medication line, same deal, you know. But you just can't do that straight away. You earn, earn your stripes. You know when you're in there, like at like when you're picking up the meals, you know who the Trumps are, who gets up there first and grabs their meals, you know. Um, once again, with medication, you know, and, and the day consists of, you know, like for me, it was always keeping myself really fit, you know, and which is something I like to still do today. It's really part of good mental health plan, so I'd start off training and, and that sort of thing. And even with that, you get priority. You know, who's got the chin-up bar first? Them, them blokes have been here longer or that bloke's tougher and I think you get... But being from Mount Druitt, we always had the Trump, so we always got in there first, you know <laughs> what I mean? And, um, um, yeah, just like, just like a lot of things and, you know, you don't talk to the screws. You, you're like, you got to, you got to screws prison officers. You've got to engage to an extent to get things done. But, you you know, there's a time, like, people are watching you. People are going, oh, he's been over there for yeah, two minutes. Yeah, right. And there's all eyes on you. There's all eyes. But it's such a political place. It's such a political, you know, because... Um, Everyone wants to know what you're in prison for. If you're a sex offender, you can't be in the mainstream population. Um, there's certain crimes, that, like certain people, you know, rapists, they are really frowned upon. Um, blokes in my day, that's changed a lot. Blokes that bash women were really frowned upon. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a real, really political place. If you know, you know, and, and it's funny because there's a lot of practical. Because everyone's entertaining themselves, you know, there's always practical jokes going on. Someone's giving someone a dodgy haircut or, I don't know, rubbing chilli in the other bloke's jocks. And <laughs> I, I, have no, I have no doubt it's no dissimilar boarding school or anything yeah. like that, you know yep. what I mean? But, um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those places. But what happens is 
you form pretty strong uh, bonds with your friends. Like my best friend, him and I went through Derek, the notorious Barrack, Derek Boys Home into Mount Penang Boys Home, and then off to prison. We spent a lot of time together, and you know, it was often described that we had a friendship not too dissimilar to people who went to war together. You know, yeah, We'd basically been in war zones together, back to back. You know, you get on those things when because you know, in the end, there was a lot of race riots and that sort of stuff, and um, racial, you know, racial factors and that sort of thing. It could be, you know, you could be a or over nothing, you get dragged into things because you know you were seen at another jail being friends with another bloke that they were, fr- you know, friends with. They had war drama, with, so you get pulled into it. So, um, pretty scary feeling. You jump on a prison van, you go to another jail, and you don't know who's there. Well, that was my next question. It it must be terrible and just mm. absolutely perplexing for people that come in that don't have that, yeah, yeah. don't have that support network. Horrifying. It's, you know, I've been in, I've been in jail for a long time, and I. You know, even that, you're going off to another jail and you go, oh, you know, I know these other crew are there and that bloke I've been hanging out with has had drama with them in the past, you know. So, and you get there and, you know, you, you sound it out, you go for a walk, you go and see that, that crew and, you know, if they say anything to you, you've got to stand your ground, you know. And and that's often the case. You just got to, and they'll, they'll ask you about him I'll say, and I'll say, what's your take on him? I'll say, I like the bloke, but, you know, your drama with him's your drama with me. It's got nothing to do with me. I'm doing my own jail, you know. Try to stay out of uh, other people's bullshit, you know, um, that, and that's hard. That's, yeah. It was very, very hard in there trying to stay out of other because always someone wants to drag you in. Someone, jail's full of finger pointers. This person's this, this person's that, and, you know, he's worse than me and that person's worse than me to make themselves feel better, you know. And, and you know, prison officers ain't real nice people in general, you know. Yeah. They're just pretty nasty and, you know, they're... Um, I don't know because I, 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 my take on – I've been recently asked, next year I'm going to be doing some prison officer staff training. You know, My take on that is, you know, they must have pretty nasty home lives to bring all that nastiness into work, you know. Must be, and I, I, whatever it is, I never wanted to be like them. I never wanted to be full of anger and resentment, so I tried to maintain a positive attitude. I'd get up in the morning and um, gratitude list. I'd wake up and, you know, I've, you know, I've got two arms, two legs and – I can breathe, you know, I can see, and I'm a chance. I was really big on that. It's one of those things that got me through, just maintaining the things that I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I've got, you know, supportive family outside, you know what I mean, because a lot of them blokes didn't have it. You know, and, and, and doing the work I do today with the voice of a survivor, I look back on it, and I really understand trauma these days, and I, you know, because you show me a, a person with a real big propensity for violence, I'll show you an abuse survivor. You show me a person that heavily relies on drugs to get through their day and I'll show you an abuse survivor. You show me a person that's constantly trying to self-harm, I'll show you an abuse survivor. So on a daily basis, you know, I encountered all them people everywhere. And, um, you know, and, yeah. people, and it's, it's fucking, it's really sad. It's really sad with the benefit of hindsight, what I can see now. You know, those people are really, really suffering in there and then you get these screws that take you know, satisfaction out of sort of, re, you know, amplifying that trauma. It's crazy. And that's what I'm a big advocate of that sort of stuff now, sort of addressing the trauma and, um, and you know, and creating a safer society. I don't want them people coming out and hurting my family. Yeah, absolutely. So do you, would you think that the the acknowledgement of you by the Royal Commission was the start? As a cha- game changer. That was the, that was the start? It's a game changer. Yeah. For me, it was a massive game changer. Because it, did, it, did it make you feel like, you mattered, like your 100%. voice mattered. 100%. It was, it was a point of validation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, 
we can make sense of it all from here on in. And, and, and you know, and it was, I just knew something special was coming out of that because I started really, I, st- I worked with a really amazing trauma counsellor. I worked with her for four or five years and it started to all make sense. And, um, you know, working with her made me understand because I used to think, I, I normalised so much, normalised so much. I'd see someone get stabbed to death and I wouldn't, wouldn't battle, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't trouble me. And I used, I used to ask myself, how come these people make all a big deal about this why you know what I mean I normalize that stuff and I through my own trauma counseling I, I realized what being desensitized and disenfranchised really was and I was highly desensitized as a coping mechanism to deal with my trauma and future trauma so um you know I was about getting a bit of sensitivity you know and um I'm, I'm a work in progress still with that you know I'm learning how to feel emotions I'm learning learning how to trust myself with emotions I'm learning how to allow People I love me because I didn't allow people to love. I didn't get people never got close to me. You know, no one ever got close to me, and that was just a defense mechanism. But I realised the benefits of that, that these days, and I'm really embracing it. You know, I'm in a really loving relationship now, where you know it's tough on her because I can be really distant at times too, and she, but she just doesn't cover. She just punches on and gets in there. You know what I mean? Unless the love of a good woman. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, and that's I don't know. I think, you know, that's a game changer for a lot of them blokes. A lot of those blokes in there, especially the guys with, you know, a propensity for violence, that's all they ever wanted. They wanted to be feel loved. They wanted to feel validated. They wanted to feel believed, you know. And, um, you know, and that validation and believed and, and that love, that combination of those things, I don't know, it, it puts something into someone's heart. It gives them a meaning. It gives them a purpose in life and it, and it makes them feel human. If you don't feel those things, you're an animal. Well, I think, mate, like, we all need purpose. And so I can imagine it is so much more magnified when you're in a place where you have no purpose. Yeah. And you are treated like an animal. So I I can only imagine that when you you feel worthless, then... And you're told it. Yeah. And it's... I was talking to my my partner about it the other night. It's like this hammer getting belted on a piece of steel... Every time they say it, it just echoes through your head. You're a piece of shit. You're a scumbag. You're worthless. You're a criminal. You should be shot. You should be hung. You know, you should be given sentence, you know, hope-ending sentences and that sort of thing. And that's, you know, from the jail, that's from the jails, that, and that's from the courts, the police. There's a, it's, a, it's a loud voice. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, a big part of, like, the abuse trauma, I, like, I, I've really done a lot of work on that. And then I realised how much prison trauma I got after 23 years. And, you know, because, um, you know, people can criticise me. And I, this only happened on the weekend. People can be a little, I don't know, constructive criticism. But that's got to be really spread out. Yeah. It can't all come at me at once because that's when, I'm bang, I'm triggered. You know, and it, jail flashbacks because that's all you hear in there. Yeah. You know, these big fat screws telling you how to do chin-ups. Big fat <laughs> screws telling you how to train. Yeah. With, a, with a bunger in their mouth and a fucking meat pie in their hand. Yeah. And you go, oh, fuck off. So it's a, that's actually a good little segue there because I think that one of the questions I have is, did you feel you became institutionalised? 100%. Did you have a fear of freedom? Did you have a fear? When, when, when you were released, mm. was there an innate fear about entering society again? I, I, I love a challenge. I've always loved the challenge and, you know, and, and extreme exercise has always given me that that thing. But I, I like structure. I used to like the structure of prison. You know, there's times, man, 
I've got in some places in there, especially when I really started to do the Royal Commission counselling and I started to do a bit of study and I just fucking used to wake up days and go, I give a fuck, I'd, this is all I ever want. Yeah. You know? Um, but then I just, and then I realised what I really want, really wanted, you know, and uh, over a period of time and as we peel back the onion, so to speak, the layers of the onion, I realised what I really want. What I really wanted was love. Yeah. That's what I really wanted, and I denied myself so hard. And I, you know, because the problem with with love, I always identified love was 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 hurt, and um, and that was that whole thing. But that whole traumatic cycle pushes all that stuff out of your life. The, the PTSD sort of stuff pushes. All, that's the first thing that goes. Any form of intimacy, because. You relate the act of the abuse that took place is, you know, the, the, the abuser will try to tell you it was an intimate act, you know what I mean, or try to get you to believe that. So it's one of the first things that you want to do is get rid of any form of that. But, you know, the, the, the abusers themselves um, are basically terrorists, I think. Yeah. They are terrorists, what they do to people and the scars they leave on society for it and they're celebrated they're celebrated prince andrew just bought his way out of it's crazy at all and uh, and you know and, and there's not enough accountability for the damage that they do time and time again like i know I, i'll tell you something we'd be sitting in in jail the news comes on at 6 30 and you know some case comes up where an abuser gets three months uh, abusing 10 kids or something like that and the doors get kicked and you can hear fucking t- mate it just when, when I look back on it you could see how rampant and how widely affected the people in prison were from that abuse and how you know and you know you got blokes that are doing 25 30 years for robbing banks you know and it's crazy it's crazy that's a really fair unfair and just system you know I think the the pedophile crates we're living in a society these idiots are brainwashed to think bikies pose a bigger threat than pedophiles. Yeah, these squads that can run into bikies' house, terrorize them, terrorize their life, but the pedophile can just walk down the road, associate wherever he wants. They don't need warrants to go and go in their houses. Just man, why? Why don't you know, that is just? I'm not pro any bikie, but I tell you what, I'm fucking any bullshit. Yeah, you cannot fucking convince me otherwise that they bikies pose a bigger threat. And I'm really passionate about that one because the, the government have proven that they've got these laws that can apply to people, but the people they need to be applied to the most, they're not getting applied to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one, that one, isn't it? Because I think that if you went across the community, if you went across Australia, I, I think the number one crime that people are the most disgusted in would be pedophilia. 100%. But you're right, it's not policed. No, and it, no. or it's it's policed so poorly, and they get such a such a small time for their crime, and the, the damage and the, that they the, and the life damage, like you know, like the they create the next bike, they create the next tra- drug addict, they create the next person who's going to perpetrate a violent act on someone in the society. They yeah. create, they create these people. You know, well, I think that you you mentioned before about you just wanted to be loved, and I think that love's based on trust, right? Yeah. So I think that. These people that are these abusers are, are usually from a, a a position of authority or yeah. people that you are supposed to trust. Yeah. And I think that when that's broken, 
you can't get that back. Hundred percent. You know, and so I think yeah. that it, they break these. You know, and look, oh, you, you're one of the lucky ones, right? Yeah. And you know, and you you went through hell, but you've you've. I, I I'm not going to say you've come out the other side, but I tell you what, you're doing enough to yeah. to get there. But there's, mate, the, the millions, the, 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 the millions is, of people that have. The thing is with people, when they're broken, sometimes people, they just never get the energy back to fight again. And I said, and I'm, I'm like that, I'm like that, that, that eagle in the hawk's nest trying to, yeah, inc- you know, encourage the baby eagle to fly. It's going to be all right. It's going to be safe. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like that with so many, I've got 15,800 clients and I'm like that with my clients. I'm trying to say, man, it's all right. Just fly. Tell your story and heal. Tell your story, and I talk about you know I've got some sayings that I say, and I say you know when I tell my story, because I I've carried a backpack of guilt and shame and all these horrible things. When I tell my story, I hand it back to its rightful owner, it's a perpetrator itself. So the more and more I tell that story, the more and more that perpetrator feels the weight of that fucking backpack, and rightly so because you know that stuff don't belong to me; it belongs to them. You know, and um, it's massive and. I'm I'm really big on that. I'm really saying, man, like I'm encouraging people to start the healing journey by telling their story. What well, I, th- I think that's a good place to 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 dig into voice of the survivor. Really, sure. I think that um, you know, you're obviously dealing with these the people of institutional abuse. Yeah. Um, how do you rationalise it? Like you've lived it. Mm. How how does it consume you? Look, the voice of a survivor started in prison i laid in bed one day because i i, I was put in a position in prison and i you know I, I did have a resentment about it in the time but it was the biggest blessing that ever happened to me and um so in prison you've got two phones right and you've got 60 blokes in the yard and everyone can hear what you're talking about so i had a couple of young fellas and that are just uneducated idiots listening on my phone calls and thought i was talking to the police or something like that so and that can get dangerous that sort of stuff if someone thinks that, and they start mumbling to our other blokes, and then and all of a sudden they've got a bit of momentum. So I had to call a yard man. So I had to tell, get sixty blokes, and I'd say, I'm just here to tell you, I'm not talking to the police, but what I am talking about the Royal Commission Institution response to child sexual abuse about what happened to me. I said it's got nothing to do with the police. I said I'm telling you because I want to change, man. I want to heal. I want to get rid of this shit. Whatever this darkness is in me, I want to put some light in there. And um, anyway. Man, they just applauded me. Sixty blokes clapped. That's powerful, man. Yeah, that's powerful. Sixty blokes clapped, and um, that many people approached me after it and said, "How do we start it?" Like there was so many people in. You know, I sat down to have dinner, and, and um, I was in a position of power in that sort of unit, and, uh, and all these young blokes said, "Can we?" You know, I started getting notes. You get these notes, oh mate, like, can you come and meet me out in the Oval? And that means someone wants to fight you normally. So I'd go out there and there'd be some hectic bloke saying, "Mate, you know." How do I go? How do I start this process? And then after a while, I've realised I had some sort of gift. You know, I was talking to a woman yesterday about the same thing. I can look in someone's eyes and tell these days if they've if they've been abused or not. I've just got this gift that I can do. I don't know. It's like people can read tarot cards, and that's <laughs> what I've got. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. so I can tell. Anyway, so over a period of time, when I was in that jail, I had helped sixty blokes start telling their stories to the Royal Commission. And it was recognised by the Royal Commission when I told them, I said, you know, we want to recognise that you've been a great advocate for that. And, um, you know, and then, um, so I laid in bed and I thought, you know what, I might be able to do this for a living when I get out. And um, I had a few dreams. I had a few plans. And one was that. And one was to get involved in a boxing gym. And um, so um, 
I got transferred to jail in New South Wales. I was about to get out, and the police turned up and charged me with six robberies. And um, <laughs> so the game changer there was I'd had my compensation paid. I got my patient, and I could afford decent lawyers this time. I weren't relying on legal aid lawyers. That if that was the case, I'd still be in jail now. So um, I um, I could afford. So I bought some good lawyers, and, and the first thing they did, they said, "We'll get you out on bail." But I, wa- I didn't just want to get out on bail. I wanted to go to a rehab. I'd, I was four years clean then and because um, I needed to learn some living skills. I just didn't want to walk out. And um, I just I, want, I was really I was just a real good spot. I was so real. I was so authentic. I was so honest with myself. I needed to learn some living skills. I went to the rehab and I was more – I had more uh, recovery time than the people that were running it, you know. And I was basically running the rehab and – I'd done about four months there, and when I went to leave, they offered me the job as the general manager as the rehab nurse. They'd come back and they'd give you a Corolla as a company car, <laughs> a nice mighty grand. Or if you know, I declined that with every intentions of going to kick off the voice of a survivor. I didn't know where I was going, but I just was guided by something, you know, uh, universal power or whatever. And I've got a one bedroom joint at um, Coffs Harbour. I bought a laptop that I had no idea how to use, I didn't know how to turn it on, I didn't know how to use it some woman out of gum tree to come over and she'd turn up with all the crystals and put them all around us and had a crystal on a chakra reading before we kicked off <laughs> and she'd done the two things she was worse than t- and I was just get out of the way all the time <laughs> just set it up and all the time and I was just going through the roof and I was jumping on social media telling people what I was doing and um, you know I was just unindated but my plan always when I got out of jail I said I'm going to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week for two years and reassess it at the end of that, you know. And I, I stuck that at bar one day. I had Christmas Day off. and um, Generous. Yeah, I was being kind to of myself. Yeah. And, and I had all these material goals and I achieved them. I just ticked them all off. And my way of thinking was, we're going to work 12 hours a day. That's 12 hours a day. I'm going to stay out of trouble. I'm going to sleep out hours if I can. You know, and I'm up to 20 hours. I'm going to train two hours. I'm going to two hours and I've got to keep myself out of trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. statistically, that's how I break down. That's what I encourage young people to do. You're going to get out and you want to break that cycle. Just immerse yourself in work. You know what I mean? And just fucking just watch your bank account. Don't spend your money, which is hard for me because I'm a spender. Yeah. Uh, that comes back from the old bank robbing days where money meant nothing. And um, so, yeah, and I've done that. And, and, you know, about eight months into it, I realized that, you know, this was going to be really big. Seen the scope of it. I had so many people taking interest in it, so I brought another bloke in who had a legal background. And, and um, you know, today we employ 12, maybe 14 people. We've got 15,800 clients. We work with 38 different law firms nationally, and um, and it's really satisfying work. I, I'd done the first 1,100 interviews myself. They were, you know, trauma interviews, and I just I got to the point where I just. I had to self-preserve, you know. What I mean? Well, and that's my next question. Surely that dredged up some stuff in you. Sure, for sure. Because, you know, it was said, it was a report was written about me, like, for court, that uh, by Professor Coyle, that he, I was one of the only people he'd ever come across that he thought that was capable of doing that and, and not, you know, sort of go backwards. But, look, i just seen the warning signs. I'd done 1,100 and I thought, you know what, I, I, I just, that's better off, you know what I mean? pass this the ball on to somewhere else where because you know you got to realize in business what's your greatest asset and my greatest asset was telling my story and encouraging people to tell theirs and while i'm doing eight hours of interviews a day i'm not doing as much as i could so you know we we got a really good staff we got burned along the way i got a couple of people come in and make it one woman one woman told him she had four degrees and then oh man she was just a pirate <laughs> just in there robbing us for everything you know wow. 
and uh, you know, I, I was, uh, it's been a learning process in business. In see, I always consider myself a good judge of character. In jail, I was great, but out here, far out, man. These they call them stiffs, right? They call stiff law-abiding citizens. Man, they are the best, mate. They have more shonks. They're more shunks amongst the stiff. You, you sort of know what you get with the crims, you know what I mean? And they'll give you some indicators about what their intentions are out here, mate. They'll fucking just put a fucking rose in their mouth. It's, it's just yeah, amazing. Wow. And um, and call themselves honest people. And they'll call them and they'll point the finger and say, you're just a, a dirty, rotten criminal. I'm an honest person who's just robbed you for fucking 200 grand. But, um, you know, and, and then point the finger at you or try to character assassinate you. But, um, been a learning process along the way. We we, we fine tune what we do, and, um, and I take a lot of pride in what I've achieved. I'm sort of stepping back a bit from it to obviously do the podcast, the Stick Up podcast, and a bit of work that I'm really passionate. I'm a real passionate advocate for changing the corrective services system because it's not working. It's not working. I think the old approach: treat them like animals, and I'll get out and act like human beings. Come on, man, that's old hat. It doesn't work. Mate, there's enough evidence to prove that it don't let's look at something that does and there's evidence in other countries like norway of things that do work and let's why, why aren't we applying that why aren't we giving that a go it's it's funny that we society's become so woke mm. right where but in that in that instance it's so old-fashioned yeah we're not thinking about new and improved ways to do things it's hard to sell that's hard to sell it's that's not palatable Watching some bloke being treated like a human being, and you're going, "Oh, hang on, you know," because I have the, you know, I get a, I do a video, in you know, in my lounge room, and someone will say, "Geez, you live in a nice place. I can't afford that. I work two jobs, and that well, you're working the wrong jobs. Yeah, <laughs> you're actually not working hard enough, and you're actually blowing blowing up about unions, robbing everyone, and everything like that. And you're not on the union side, you know. Fuck, mate. You know yeah. what I mean, mate? If I'm, uh, you know, and people up about you know the lifestyle i live a, i live a pretty good life but i work hard yeah I, I very rarely have a day off my phone is always on you know the first thing i get up is get up i get up you know i can get up at two o'clock in the morning my partner will kick me out of bed and and and, and you know i'll go and work for a couple of hours then get a couple of hours sleep I, my mind is always racing and, um but you know if i wasn't abused there's a fair chance i would have been a very successful business person anyway yeah. i was always going to be that way i was always had that that drive and the intuition in business to recognise uh, opportunities and, and to apply myself to chase them. And I, I say this, you know, I say this to young people, find out what your purpose and your passion is, apply yourself at, to it and you'll never be lost. You'll always be on the right track when you're doing it that way. And um, that's what I did. I just found my purpose and my passion and, man, I'm living the dream. Yeah. You know, you can sit down and be a hater and hate on me and everything like that. Just give it a crack and, you know, and change your attitude, you know what I mean? I'm never going to be one of these... Like, people say to me about, you know, don't, haven't you got resentments? Yeah, I had them for a long time. I don't have them anymore because they weren't self-serving. They were fucking detrimental. You know, uh, you know, how do you feel about these people? How do you feel about... I don't feel anything. Yeah. I don't feel anything about those people because if I feel anything, you know, I'm, giving them, I'm giving those people my energy. And my energy's precious, you know, and my energy's so precious and I, I don't have resentment. A, re uh, and a resentment or rust the vessel it's contained in, you know. Ha having a resentment is like drinking a cup of poison and hoping the other person dies from it. It's not self-serving. It takes a lot of energy to to wrap yourself around a resentment, you know. I'd rather have that energy around something positive, you know. Yeah. 
that's progressive, that has meaning, that's, you know, that serves me. Hayden's voice of the survivor. That's the voice of the survivor. Such a, a pleasure to be involved in that, you know what I mean? And um, we've been through the ringer on it. We've been attacked by governments. Uh, little posses or little gangs have jumped up and we've started, you know, we've had people spreading rumours that we've been under investigation. I even heard it today. We're under investigation for five years. Well, fucking longest invest. Hey, and, but anyway, it's... But we've we we passed the test of time. We're getting stronger. We're getting you know we're really wrapping up. Like you know, in three days, we wrapped up 110 clients. You know, the other day, like got a good reputation. The clients love what we do. The feedback we get from it is amazing. Like you get, I get some beautiful comments made about me, and that's 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 really pleasing. It's you know, I, I really it really makes me warm and fuzzy when I hear those comments and. Um, you know, and life is really good, you know. I'm going to get married soon and, and then I'll finally, you know. Then life will be bad again. Life will be bad. I'll go back to the trauma. <laughs> I'm heading back into the trauma. And, you know, just little things I never thought that I would do. I'm yeah. All these things that I never thought I'd do. I'm, you know, breaking the habits of drug addiction and the, and the drug cycle and that sort of stuff. I struggled, you know, like, it's funny. I was with my mate yesterday and um, I was training when you have a shot of heroin, you get this thing, it's called a chemical. As soon as you have it, this thing, it's like a flame that comes up the back of your throat. And it was the first time in ages I had one of these. And um, when you're a druggie, you embrace it. Oh, fuck, that was good. And I fucking, I said to my mate, fuck, that was shit. Yeah. I didn't enjoy that. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, what is it? Um, what's that word for it? It's a drug. It's a, anyway. Um, but, you know, I just, I just don't enjoy it. The answers ain't there for me no more. So, obviously, you've got voice of the survivor. Yeah. You love your training. Yeah. Beautiful partner. Yeah. Life's good. The stick up podcast. The stick up podcast. Yeah. What else are you passionate about, mate? What like what really makes you tick? Um, watching people heal. Um, love boxing, obviously. You know, I've been involved in boxing since I got out. You know, one of the dreams I had when I was in prison was to get involved in a boxing gym when I got out. You know, last year I I took a fighter to Manchester, England for a world title in my I walked him out to 12,500 people. That's that universal stuff, you know. I'm always getting looked after there. I think um, my mate says to me, you could throw your hand up a fucking toilet and pull out a gold Rolex. He said to me, just that arsy. And it's not that. I think it's about believing in yourself. I say to people, if you set yourself a goal, fucking tell yourself, visualise that you can do it. Visualise it happening. Because I do that all the time. I'm a... When I was a kid, I was always told I was a daydreamer. But fuck, I tell you what, you know, there's all a bit of a hippie movement to it, putting it out the universe and all that sort of stuff. I've been doing that my whole life, you know. And yeah. I, make it, I see it happen before it even happens. I love it. Yeah. I love it, you know. And I say that to people. I say that to young people. See it happen. Smell it. I was in prison, right? I don't like to share this story because it's a bit of a bridge up story. But I was in prison and I said, you know, I want to buy myself a fucking AMG Mercedes Benz, you know. And I used to sit there... Smell a lever, I could feel a fucking hand on the steering wheel, and uh, I bought one. You know, and I bought one. It was a big anticlimax because two days later it was a car. Yeah. But when I did sit in it, I'd been there before. <laughs> yeah. I'd been there before. I'd been there before, and I went, yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. It does feel like this. You know what I mean? Twelve months later, I got rid of it. I was fucking, you know, it was a fucking heat maggot for the cop. The coppers don't like an ex-bank robber driving around. No, no doubt. Something. And um, you know, and it was ammunition for people to use against me. So you know, 
anyway, you know, I'd done that. I was just goal setting and, I, you know, I, I set some goals for myself today. Like, um, with my podcast, you know, I'm chatting, like, I've got some amazing guests coming up. I'm, you know, I've got Dr. Victor Chang coming up, Jeff Fennick. I reckon I'll fucking get Mike Tyson next year. I'm that confident. No I'll way. I'll get him. I'll That'll be good. Him. I'll get him. Yeah. I'll get him. And I already know how I'm going to do it. Yeah. I already know. I, I just, I've seen it. I've seen it. The other day, I, I said to my partner, I'm going to get Mike Tyson. And I know someone who's very close to him. And I'll get him. That'll be cool. That'll be yeah, good. Yeah. And I've got, you know, beautiful people. Interviewing a bloke like Nick Gunner, who's just. He's got such a reputation, and but I, I know plenty of things about that guy. All this good stuff that he's done, I know about people that have been ripped off for charity money, and he's got it back with just a phone call. The mere presence of that guy and the compassion that he has for the underdog, and you know, um, just a beautiful soul that guy. Man. He's still uh, he's still got a presence about him, doesn't he? The big fella does. Yeah, but he's I don't know. He's got a that guy's got a special way about him, you know can make people feel like kings, you know what I mean? And um, Mark Burris has got the same. Danny Green, the boxer, who's a good line of mine, has got the same. Yeah. They're just special people like bloke, like blokes like him. I said to him, I want to interview uh, uh, Dr. Charlie Tao. He just rang him and said, hey, mate, you're going to be doing an interview with a mate of mine. She, Don, Charlie Tao goes, yeah, no worries. Yeah, any mate of yours is a mate of mine. And that's how it went down. And no one will get to interview him after that. Yeah. It won't be a common thing. But um, really, I've got a... The, I, I, I see something that goes on, like um, the uh, Bikies Inc. is massive. The Daily Curly Graph do the podcast, Bikies Inc. I'm going to do a, a spin-off to that. I'm going to get actual bikies, and I've got a few to agree already. So um, I've got two national presents to agree already, so I'll get another two more to really validate it. Yeah. And we'll just see what they've got to say. I, I'm, as I said, I, I just, I'm not pro or any bikie, but I just like to know the truth. I know we're here on one side of the truth. Do, do you know what I reckon is great about podcasting, right? Is that anyone can do it. Yeah. Right? No agendas. Yeah. Just tell the truth. Just yeah. talk and just sit two blokes or uh, women or whatever in a room shooting the shit. Yeah. And, and, and that's authentic. And that's where you find, you, you find real people. Mm. And I think that for so long we've been so used to 60 minutes or, yeah. what, or the news or whatever, putting their slant on it, right? And, and telling you what you think you need to hear, yeah, yeah. but this is what I love about podcasting. Yeah. You, you actually get to know people, and then the smart people will make their own minds up, yeah. right? And people will decide: Am I pro Russell or not pro Russell? Yeah, sure. Am I pro bikey, not pro bikey? I think yeah. it's just not enough for that. Yeah, you know, like it was funny because, uh, well, it's not really funny, but I went to Cromer High, and this is my little. This is That's as close man, as is that manly way, is it? Yeah, Northern yeah. Beaches, right? Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah. Um, so the Dawson, Chris Dawson, the, yeah, he was yeah. the teacher at Cromer High. That's yeah. just done for teacher's pet. So I was at that school three years after he left. So I, I wasn't there when he was there. Yeah. But, you know, that that original podcast, which essentially sent podcasting in Australia through the roof, the teacher's pet. Yeah. Australian True Crime done that. Is that right? Uh, that was... Um, Michelle Laurie? No, no, no. It was... Um, oh, what is his name? Uh, from the, the journalist from the Australian... Uh, Headley Thomas. Okay. Yeah, so Headley Thomas did it, and it was, the, you know, he guy was a teacher, a student mm. that he was sleeping with, killed his wife. He's now been sentenced, right? Like, this happened in the 80s. Mm. And without that podcast, I would never have known about that. Yeah, and, and, I, and I was one degree of separation from that, from that story, yeah. essentially, going to the school that he was a teacher at. Yeah. 
And obviously, they actually had to, when it went to trial, they had to take the podcast down. Because well, obviously yeah. it would affect the jury's yeah. decision. He's now done another one called The Teacher's Trial, which is now all about the trial. But without, without that, without someone sticking his hand up and saying, well, you know, I've got, I want to investigate this story, and I'm, people don't know the truth. Yeah. Or people don't get to make their own mind up. And I think that's the powerful part. That's why I'd like to do the bikey thing, because I know there's a little bit more. Like, I know that 80% of reported bikey crimes traffic-related, but it's the inference is given that it's drug-related. <laughs> I know that 98% of the ice that hits Australian streets here is manufactured in China. But that it's made out that the bikies make it all. That's yeah. Pretty yeah. When's a bikey ever been pinched for cooking 200 kilos of fucking ice? Yeah. I don't know of any. But the inference is always drawn that that's the case. You know, I know a lot of good stuff that goes on. My, my mate over in Perth, Troy McCanty, he's the president of the Mongols. He controls African street crime over there on his own. Coppers have got no say in it. He has. He calls the shots on it. He just wow. doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, they need a Troy McCanty in every state. Yeah. You know, they talk about, like, over there, he's like, the public love him, the politicians hate him. Crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. And he's not your average. He's, you know, uh, from a really wealth, well-to-do family, private school educated. But, you know, he's just a good guy. He's, he loves the underdog, you know. Yeah. We just got, I, I love that. I love, we, we went to lunch with him and his wife the other day. It was just so warm. Such warm, beautiful people, you know. And I, I get that feeling. I, you know, I'd rather be with some person like that than a dodgy, slimy politician that just <laughs> lies for his teeth. Yeah. And he's just got an ulterior motive of how much he can rob, ro you know, pillage and fucking rape out of the fucking society to fill his fat little fucking pockets with his fat little fingers. Fuck that. You know? at, least you, at least you know where you stand with... with 100, 100%. And, and, and this is me, I've got nothing to do with it, but at least you sort of know where you stand with, with a villain. Yeah. You know what I mean? To a point. You know, Mick Gunnard, man, give me him yeah? over Tony Abbott any day. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? I think Mick a little better in some budgie smugglers oh, as well, I, I think. I that, but no, <laughs> not, anymore. Be, not, not anymore. Not anymore. But, you know, he's just a beautiful person who's got integrity. You know he's not lying to you. You yeah. know he's not bullshitting you. He's not fucking colouring in the facts. You know, Danny Green, I said to Danny Green, like, Danny Green is that popular over in Perth. I said, if you went for politics, you would romp it home with a leg in the air to be the Premier. He goes, yeah, I just can't tell lies. Do you know what? I, I've always thought politics is odd, right? Yeah. So you pay... Uh, Joyce that runs Qantas has paid $25 million a year. Yeah, yeah. But our uh, our Prime Minister's paid 700000 yeah. right? So you've got all these captains of industry, which are the smartest people on the planet, that are paid 20, 30 times more than the person who's supposed to run our country. Yeah. You've just got the wrong people running the country, mate. Yeah, yeah. Right? You've got the ones that aren't quite smart enough mm. to really make a difference mm. running the country. yeah. Sure. I remember, fuck, I remember Kerry Pack. I remember that tax you know, they put him before some Senate committee. Oh, it's one of the best ever. You know, and you know, asking him about um, about you know the tax. He said, "You minimise your tax." He said, "I'm not going to tip you. You ain't doing enough good, a uh, good enough job." You know. <laughs> you talk to Mark. Mark Burris was mentored by Kerry Pack, and this, I could listen to them stories all day. He's got a thousand Kerry. Yeah. Pack. He should just do a podcast on his experience with. Kerry Packer, I think he should just talk about a whole pot, just an interesting, um, he was illiterate uh, or something like that, he couldn't read and write, you know what I mean? Wow. And, but he could memorise a whole conversation. And, um, you know, just just the, he just said, that bloke was just so, he wanted to know everything about you, you know what I mean, and take people on, you know, 
imagine him. He would have been a great prime minister. He wouldn't have done it, you know what I mean? Because I think what happens... 100%. They, they, the, the people that you've got to surround... I don't know if I could surround me like, you know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. So the every, I think... of it. But you've got... I often ask myself the question about whether they're scumbags going in or whether they all have the best intentions going in yeah. and then they turn because they're just surrounded. It's the environment. Yeah. Or, you know, and so that's the question. Like what... Obviously, takes a special person to do the oh, job. We've just got rid of the worst we've ever seen. Scott Morrison is the worst fucking dodgy, <laughs> like, and I think the biggest criminal organisation in Australia today is Hillsong. I have no doubt. I yeah. have no doubt about it. Like, how do you be under investigation for covering up the, the acts of a pedophile and get awarded a $43 million grant while you're under investigation? What happened to risk averse? Yeah. What happened to risk averse? I know if I uh, apply for a grant, they're going to question my criminal, you know, my criminal background, they're going to do all sorts of intel checks to see if I'm actively involved in crime. Yeah. And if they get a sniff that I am, I ain't getting no grant. But yeah. him, he's under investigation. And that whole thing, the bloke that made the accusation at the Royal Commission, he jumped in and admitted, yeah, I did. I tried paying him off. I tried silencing him for 10 grand. And that bloke had cancer. So they waited 12 years to charge him. They were hoping, they were banking on that he was going to die. die. <laughs> How corrupt yeah. is that? Like, how corrupt is that? This bloke, it was funny because he had some revolutionary cancer treatment that no one thought it'd work, and it worked. Yeah, he lived, wow. and they're going, this bastard's lived, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he's a hero, that guy, and he stood his ground, you know what I mean? He stood his ground against those rats, those rats. I got a Hillsong uh, Survivor yesterday, a woman. Uh, I got a Hillsong Survivor yesterday. Wow. And, uh, just... Imagine that you got the police commission, you got all these politicians, and man, any dodgy deal is going to happen in a church. Could yeah. you ever imagine that? Yeah, it's deep. It's deep. Yeah, um, man. Hopefully, that place is coming to an end now that we got rid of that fucking. Just anything that came out of that bloke's mouth was bullshit. It wasn't great. I've never seen. <laughs> it wasn't anything. great. I'm a big fan of Julia Gillard. The only reason why I'm a big fan of Julia Gillard, she, I think every good PM leaves a legacy. Her legacy was the Royal Commission. Royal Commission, yeah. You know, John Howard, they'll say his legacy was GST, you know, yeah. great. But John Howard was a war criminal. Yeah. He's, he sucked us into Iraq, the weapons of mass destruction. They still haven't found him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't fucking know. I, I, I love politics. I, I'm really fascinated by how gullible people are, you know, how brainwashed people are. You know, yeah, we've got to get the Iraqis. They've got weapons of mass destruction. Where are they? Yeah. No one stands back years later and says, Actually, did you find them? Because you yeah. fucking lied to us. Well, again, I think it's it's the powerful it's the power of this medium that we can now start to question those things. That's and, why and podcasts can, and that coming in. I think absolutely, and and social media, yeah. you know, to an extent, you know, what I, mean? I, I I I love this, like you know, I, I'm I, I'm I'm on all these different forums, and I I love it getting in there and having my say, and and because um, now I can say it. Yeah, I can say what my experience was. I can say about all the bullshit and corruption that I've seen. I can talk about how fucking brainwashed people are, and I show I show them facts, and they go, "Oh God!" What I really love, I really love your TikToks, yeah, yeah. right? And you got a different subject, and you just, you know, it's a couple minutes, and yeah, you tell it as it is, and yeah. and I always come away going, "Oh fucking yeah, righto, yeah, okay." I'm, I something I didn't know yeah. three minutes ago that I know now. I try to, I try, and, and the feedback I get, I get back from, I, I, I just, I. Yeah, I'm getting some really uh, just educating people. Hopefully, we can make some change for those sort of things. And we do some really good forums on TikTok, and in particular, we haven't done it for a few weeks. So I've been 
I've done more miles than Burke and Wills of late. Yeah. And, um, sort of get refocused on, you know, these Sunday night and Monday night. I'm going to sort of start doing some interviewing some people myself. Um, but I've been involved in some really good forums where we talk about mental health, suicide prevention, domestic violence, um, you know, rehabilitation of such. And, you know, and, and like one we had a few weeks ago, we had 700 people on there from 8.30 at night until 1 o'clock in the morning. And I was falling asleep at the end. Wow! And never moved. And you know, and and the, you know, and the feedback we get, all the positive feedback we get. Obviously, those numbskulls that go, "You don't do the crime, don't do the crime." Okay, well, mate, they go across the road and they get hit by a car. Yeah, simple as that. Yeah, you know? I can pull your head out the stand. I, I love those sort of things. I can always see a prison officer or a copper's comment. I just go, "Cop." Because <laughs> it's just that fucking negative one. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's that yeah. real negative. Fucking. Drab. Well, it's 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 interesting because the, the the penal system is supposed to rehabilitate people so oh. they can enter society as functional human beings again, right? We've got the prison industrial complex that contradicts that. Yeah, but when then someone does, they're against it. Oh, they, right? There's a side. It's the on, irony, right? Yeah, there's a site on um uh, on Facebook. It's called the Last Governor, and it's a fucking haters site, right? And apparently, I get. I'm blocked from seeing anything. They don't want me to see anything. Every <laughs> post I put up gets on air. He's again that little mongrel. Yeah. They hate me. Yeah. You know? But it's really funny because the uh, Deputy Commissioner of Corrective Services, a mate of mine, I go walking through the jail and they all suck up to me. It's like, oh, hey, Russell, it's really good to see you doing well. Oh, God. I'm with the Commissioner. You know, when I'd done a strange story, that was, that was amazing because I, you know, obviously it was a place where I was abused, but to be able to walk in there and be treated as an equal, I had a lot of people who were worried it was be triggering in that form. It was totally opposite it was so it was cathartic yeah you know? i was gonna say yeah it's cathartic and all of them like i'll tell you what i'm not real keen on shaking the hands of prisoners especially ones that have bashed me and just like, hey, mate. give them a the fish shake hey, yeah, mate. Yeah. and then um going to the cell that i was abused in and, uh, and having a look at that but making peace with it too making peace with that and um and then at lunchtime he stops and we're going to have some lunch and i said i ain't eating no fucking prison food <laughs> and I fucking jump in the car and drive. To, and they said, "No, no, you don't have to eat anything today." And I said, "Thank God for that." You know, yeah, and that my mate. That would have been triggering. Yeah, and, oh, oh, that fucking sod, mate. I'll kill a fucking brown snake. But um, so I went to the governor's office and they've got this big smorgasbord of food and you know and then um and um yeah smorgasbord of food and and that was amazing and then um uh, you know at the end of it we did the shoot where I I walk out of the gate and. Um, and uh, we had to do it about 10 times, and they'll apologise. I said, no, nah, no, it's all good. It's like I've been released eight times. <laughs> I love it. I said, I could do this all day if you want to do it. You yeah. Know? But it was, and it was really nice to come out of there, jump into my fucking hire car and drive to the airport and just go home and, and feel free, feel validated and feel healed and, and have gone back there and made peace with that place. Yeah. That was really, really nice. It was so nice to be able to do that. And, um yeah, I'd do it again. Now, you know, I'm getting offers to go in there these days and do mentoring work and that sort of stuff, which I'm really I'm really looking forward to. And to get paid for it is even better. But um, I'm interested in staff training, that next year I'm going to be doing staff training. And my partner hit me with a question, and it was valid. She said, what are you going to teach them? I'm going to say, well, and I thought about it. And I said, you know what I'm going to teach them? And I said, you've got an opportunity excuse me, to go in and make a difference. You can get some joy out of going in there and traumatising already traumatised people by handcuffing them and beating them. Or you can break. You can go in there and help break the cycle by showing a bit of empathy and compassion and, 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 and you know, 
have some kindness. I said, because that's going to go a long way. I said, but, or you can go in there and see these other miserable gits that are going to go home, their fucking kids are going to hate them, their wife's going to see him come up the driveway and she's going to dread his home, kids are going to go to the bedroom, the dog's going to take off and hide under the house, he's going to jump on the lounge, fucking grab the remote control, fart, think... His jokes are the only things that's funny, and he's going to be the and and you know and everyone hates him in that house, you know, and then he's going to get up. Ah, I won't have a shower today. I'll do that next week, and I'm going to go back and do it all again, and um, just be miserable, rotten human being. I said, that's what you can choose to be, or you can choose to be this person that goes in there and serves a purpose, have a purpose. You've been a decent per- human being all day. You've shown empathy, compassion. You've emotionally changed someone's life. And you can go home and, and fucking show that fucking empathy and compassion and love and kindness back to your own family. I said, that's a choice, what you want to be. I said, but I tell you, you go in there with a bad attitude, you'll destroy everything that you've got now. And when you put it to him, in that, I think anyone is going to go, well, well, he's right. He's right. And that'll be my message to him all day, every day. I spoke to a woman last night who's um, a governor at one of the jails. And I was talking to her about it. And I said, they, they really need you to do that, Russell. You can make a really, really big difference. The problem is the good ones get indoctrinated. They get indoctrinated. You know, I can remember this one guy, and he's like, Russell, he's coming straight to come in. What can I do to help you? I'm your case officer. Let's just sit down and talk. Two weeks later, I asked him for a toilet roll. He's playing fucking card games on the computer with his feet up. He said, come back later. So I grabbed yeah, his jumper. Right. I said, yeah, no worries, mate. I'll come back later. I'll bring your jumper back. And he goes, what? I said, I'm going to go wipe my ass on your jumper. He said, no, 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 I'll give you a toilet. I said, it's that easy, isn't it, mate? That's just, I don't know about that. I don't know about that meanness. I don't know what's in someone to, to, to want to be like that. I haven't, I've never had it. I've never had that nasty. I was never, I've never had that nastiness for people. I've yeah. never had it in me. I don't, I, I don't understand it. And I think if you've never had that, then you want to, I, I'm interested in where it comes from. Yeah, absolutely. It's toxic. You know, it's just someone passing their toxicity on you. And I talk about, I read this book about, once about our beliefs and our, our our thoughts, and and of this one, it was this this book. I started questioning where did that thought come from? Does that belong to me, or is that influenced by someone else? So I tried to purify my own thoughts, and and you know what I mean. Like, and, and that was a that was a really good thing for me to happen because I I don't want to be influenced. You know, I want my thoughts to be my thoughts. I don't want to be your thoughts or her thoughts. I mean, I want my thoughts to be mine. And I'm really big on it. And my beliefs, you know, I don't want my dad's beliefs. You know what I mean? Like, okay, a few. I, you don't hit women. I believe in that. But I, I, I want my. I just want my own. I want. A, I want to be me. I don't want to be a little bit of everyone else. Yeah, that's important to me. That's that independence. That's that, you know, being validated. That's being, you know, respect. And that's where my integrity comes from. I don't steal from people. I don't hurt people. I don't want to be mean to people. I don't want to cause people pain or trauma or anything like that and no amount of money could change that i couldn't be bought to want to walk into a place and be and traumatize people i could never be bought for that no amount of money could make me want to do that yeah in in the past it did i was a bank robber i've traumatized people i i could never happen again today because my trauma look people ask me about you know you traumatize banks and everything like i i i didn't know what trauma was that's yeah. what I learned about, you know, my own... Tra- when I learned about my own trauma, that's when all of the, you know, the remorse and empathy and that comes back. You know, I go, fuck. Yeah. Man, you know what I mean? And that's when, you know, I'd been to court and I apologised and then people wrote apology. I didn't mean it. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it's just words. But when I verbalise it these days, it comes from my heart. Yeah. And it means something. Because I understand I don't want to cause you pain. I don't want to cause you nightmares. I don't want to cause you fear in your life. I don't want you to be worried about someone walking through that door and he might have a gun or a, a, he's going to threaten your life or anything like that. I don't want I don't want to be a part of that, man. That's not me. I, I'm, I'm very sorry if I've caused you that. But one thing I can guarantee you, and that'll never happen again, not, not from me. Yeah. It doesn't have to happen. I've dealt with my trauma. I've done a shitload of work on my trauma. A shitload. And you know what I mean? And, and, and just, uh, I'll tell you what, it does feel good to have empathy. It's fucking it's a beautiful, warm feeling to go, oh, feels good to be able to cry. Yeah. It feels good to be able to feel. It's good, feels good to have, you know, you know, just to have feelings and uh, and gratitude's massive. My gratitude's a conduit to my happiness and my gratitude's my the conduit to my peace, you know, and that's why we're really big. We get up in the morning and the first thing we do when we open our eyes is say, hey, what are you grateful for? You know, and that's massive in our house and, um, and it grounds us, it really grounds us and, and I've got to have that sort of stuff. I've got to, a few things I've got to have first thing in the morning, you know, is, you know, that gratitude. I've got to train in a good coffee. And that's my little routine. If yeah. I have that three, you know, a couple of other things, but anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> you got to make up, make it up for lost time, mate. I'm morning, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, you know, and, and, and I have that, and it really sets the platform. Worst thing that anyone can do with me in the morning is want to fucking argue. Yeah. Because that fucking shit escalates with me. It's no let's do that a bit later yeah let's just get in let's be positive and yeah i have a good life i have a good life because you know i do good things well mate i was, I was gonna say look we, we can't be defined by the things that we do or we have done we can only be defined by what we're doing mm. and i think what you're doing now is you're, you're changing people's lives mm. you're changing your own life you're changing you know thousands of people mm. every day you're making a difference and i think that's important and I think that, you know, we've on, I've only known you really for a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I can already know that by looking at you, I can tell that you're genuine mm. and, and you care about what you do and, and, mm. and that's what you strive for. And I had a question here to ask you just to finish off with was, you know, you say you want to live a good and peaceful life, but I think you just answered it. Mm. You know, you just answered it before. Mm. You know, you want to train, you want a good coffee, yeah, don't ask maybe me. a couple other things. A couple other things. That's yeah, a good peaceful much. life, yeah. you know. And, and it is. That's it's it is, you know, and and the beautiful people that I attract into my life, like I, I, I pinch myself sometimes, you know what I mean? I pinch myself, the beautiful people we have in our lives. We have good friends, um, we have very good supportive friends, you know, and I'm not, I don't drink or drug or anything these days and it's funny how I attract people who don't drink or drug. Yeah. You know, and that's, you, you know, your vibe is your tribe and all of that. Hundred, of I 100% agree with that. You know, and, and that's what we do. None of us are writing ourselves off. We get rid of negativity, negative people real quick around yeah. here. They don't, there's not a place for that. It's like, fuck that off. Mate. Take, pack up your bongos and take them <laughs> somewhere else. Only good vibes here. And, you know, and, you know, and, and being, I think, you know, my whole thing is, you know, I didn't realise how to live until I become, uh, you know, my purpose was to be of service to others. You know, and it just give me that purpose, that meaning, that drive. Like, man, I'm I'm driven like a fucking Mack truck. You know, I've got a big engine in there that fucking doesn't stop, doesn't like to stop. You know, I can start work at two o'clock in the morning, finish at twelve thirty at night. It doesn't even feel like I've worked. Yeah, I just passionate. We done one the other week, and she she, she went fuck. How'd you do that? Yeah, 
like we started, went to do the Mark Burris thing in Sydney and then I was on this international podcast until fucking 12.30 at night in, in America. I was like, how the fuck did you do that? And I'm just, yeah. And it didn't feel like anything. Well, mate, when you're doing what you love, it yeah. doesn't feel like work, does it? Right? It's an old adage, isn't it? You yeah. love the work you do, you'll never work a day in your yeah, life. Exactly right. Yeah. Mate, I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Thank you. I think we've got to learn a little bit about the real Russell. Yeah, I hope so. And uh, I hope it won't be the last time we get to no, chat. No, let's do it more often. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, I appreciate your time. Thank Thanks you. so much, Russell. Thank you very much. Mate, and check out uh, The Voice of the Survivor. Voice of the Survivor. Stick yeah. up podcasts. Yeah. And many other things to come. That's it. Stay tuned here. The, what is it? The stories of the Serbian princess. <laughs> Can't wait for that one. Thanks, yeah. Russell. Thanks, oh, buddy. Thank Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Peek Inside the Panic Room. If you want to hear more of the chaos, make sure you follow us to stay up to date. Don't forget to give us a five-star review and check out our socials at Straight Up Digital.